Welcome to a very special edition of Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions. I'm your host, Charles Commons, and in this episode of the podcast, I've gathered all of our previous four guests together to talk about the definition of a lead for one final time. Of course, I think it's important to test new or different concepts to see what kind of business impact they could have, but only after there's been some really careful change analysis. One of the big disconnects that often occurs is that marketing and and sales, their their vocabulary starts out very often with different terms and different language. Ultimately, we are all in the same business. We are trying to find relevant people who are basically interested in buying our products or our services. I mean, at the end of the day, sales and marketing They're on the same team, but there's been that age-old divide between them. And I think a lot of it stems back to a division of goals, a division of metrics. There's an inbuilt difference in languages. Joining us today are the four people we have heard from over the last four episodes of Tech Demand Weekly. So it's welcome to Terry Flaherty. Hi, I'm Terry Flaherty. I'm a Senior Research Director at Serious Decisions. I focus pretty much exclusively on the demand management process, and I've been leading research recently on what we think is really important transformation from thinking about individual leads into you know, identifying and tracking buying groups and, and treating that as the entity that moves through the process. Chris Borman. Hello, my name's Chris Borman. I work um, for CA Technologies, I'm now part of Broadcom, and I am, have been responsible for the demand generation programs, working with sales to drive demand across Europe. Pamela Guyton Michaels. Hello, I am Pamela Guyton Michaels, and I am a senior manager of demand generation and international programs at Avalara. So you could say that I'm kind of in the marketing trenches. And today I represent the exhausted American having just stepped off of a red-eye flight to get home in time for Thanksgiving and hope I can contribute to a lively discussion. And Sharon Murnahan. Hi everyone. So I represent HubSpot and HubSpot is a global inbound marketing and sales platform whose mission it is to help millions of organizations grow better. What I do in HubSpot is I work with businesses primarily in EMEA to help them run their sales process and structure the sales process and their sales strategy so that they can use the HubSpot technology to grow their businesses. Welcome to all of you. So to start off then, in each of the podcasts over the last month, we've asked each of you what your definition of a lead is, as well as how that changes when you're in your respective organisations. I think the key question that's come out of all of those answers is to actually ask, when does the business of making sales take over the reliance on the theory? Pamela Guyton-Michaels. Yeah, um, well, as a demand generation marketer, I think I have a pretty clear responsibility to keep a sufficient volume of qualified leads flowing into the funnel for our partners in sales at all times. And that's even when our team is looking to operationalize a marketing theory. And of course, I think it's important to test new or different concepts to see what kind of business impact they could have, but only after there's been some really careful change analysis. And I never change too many variables at once. So I suppose you could say I'm in favor of slow measured changes so that you can see how each variable is performing versus a major overhaul that could potentially gum up the works. 
And I think that as a marketer, you know it's time to make a change in your processes when growth, scalability, or sustainability are challenged in some way. And I can share candidly that some marketers I know haven't completely moved to the newest demand unit waterfall that Serious Decisions has put forth, despite having done the work to identify their buyer personas and what the basic demand units look like, because they haven't felt those forcing factors quite yet. So I think my question for Terry is, how would you advise a business that wants to adopt the demand unit waterfall, but that can't sustain any gaps in qualified lead flow to sales? Like, where where do you begin? Yeah, there's definitely a a pragmatic approach that you can take to to adopt a demand unit waterfall, right? And uh, that pragmatic approach involves a combination of evolution of process, and then also evolution in systems and the supporting technology. And, and so, you know, what, what we see a lot of our clients doing is, you know, testing and experimenting changes in process, um, sometimes ahead of the changes in technology. And, and, and so a, a great example of that might be to say, hey, we're, we're interested in identifying buying groups, right? We want to pass sales opportunities, multiple people and contacts connected to that opportunity to, to prove the value of that hypothesis, we may start to, for example, change the, the questions and the insight we gain in our telequalification team and, and have them start asking about additional people that play key roles in the buying decision process and, and documenting that and connecting those people as contacts to the opportunity so that when they send a qualified opportunity over to sales, it's just not one person anymore. It's a, it's a number of people that they've identified, right? And once once we start to see that adoption and that transformation, you know, then we can come in from a technology perspective and, and start to automate and connect those people, uh, you know, earlier in the process through business roles by looking at, you know, who these people are and what they're doing and making some assumptions about their, their role in the buyer's journey. But, you know, kind of that first step in the change management process is a very pragmatic one to say, let's just start to evolve the role of our tele-team, have them expand their concept of qualification just a little bit, just to start identifying additional people in the buying group and informing the sales team about those additional people that they found. Chris Borman. Listening to this, it's one of those things where ultimately that handoff um, requires a lot of um, focus in terms of aligning what marketing is trying to deliver with what sales require. Um, what I've found is that, um, and you talked, Terry, about the this idea of pragmatism, is that um, at the end of the day, what you are passing over to sales, um, there has got to be an agreement between sales and marketing with regard to the value of what you are delivering. Our job from a marketing perspective is to um, get as close to the bullseye of either the individual or the buying group as we can um, in such a way that when you pass it to sales, they can pick this thing up and progress that thing further forward. And what I found is that it's all well and good to know that these interfaces occur, but the hard work is in agreeing with sales what you are trying to deliver and and how close you can get to the qualification that they need in order to be able to drive that thing forward. Serious Decisions is a research and advisory firm that delivers the actionable, intelligence, transformative frameworks and expert guidance that equip executives to modernize and elevate sales, marketing and product performance. 
Fast-growing companies rely on serious decisions, research and insights to improve their decision-making ability and help them implement and change processes faster to drive growth. Based on a recent study, Serious Decisions clients are proven to grow 12 to 15 times faster than their peers and have a 34% higher profitability rate. Serious Decisions' mission is to help their clients achieve cross-functional alignment and improve performance through access to cutting-edge research and collaborative step-by-step counsel. Check out their latest research and insights at SeriousDecisions.com. Sharon, you've been vocal in saying that marketing is a cost center within a company, whereas sales are reliant on growth. Both Chris and Pamela have talked about the relationship between marketing and sales and and the trust that exists within that relationship. The stronger it is, the better the leads, which ultimately results in higher conversion rates. What insights do you have in regards to this through your time working at HubSpot? Yes, um, thanks. Thanks for that, Charles. I liked what Chris was saying about the agreement between marketing and sales, because I do find that that really is the the key to the two units inside in any company going forward together. Um, from my own experience in HubSpot, my experience is from the sales perspective. And, you know, I've been working in sales for about 20 years. And typically, say, marketing was always seen as the cost center in most organizations that I've come in contact with. Then sales was always seen as the revenue generator. Um, marketing it was a question between, you know, you have that sales and marketing divide of what does marketing do and sales can't close their leads. So one of the things that had really impressed me when I joined HubSpot was being introduced to a terminology called smarketing. And it's about, you know, how to have a process that can enable SaaS businesses to have that predictable recurring revenue model by aligning the sales and marketing teams together. You know, it's kind of like an engine that will drive the company by having both sales and marketing aligned together. And it's a little bit of a play on the worlds of sales and marketing equals smarketing. So in HubSpot uh, over the last five years that I've been one of the team members here, it's something that we kind of live and die by, to be honest with you. Um, It's the foundation of our sales and it's the foundation of the marketing engines. And what it does is it spells out clarity between the two different functions. It spells out clarity between sales and between marketing, and it spells out the accountability that one has to the other. And it can be broken down into four or five actual very easy steps, which is about both teams speaking the same language. You know, if we're talking about marketing qualified leads or we're talking about sales qualified leads, what do we define as being a marketing qualified lead? What do both teams see as being a marketing qualified lead? What do both teams see as being a sales qualified lead? Or even peeling back the layers of that onion, what do both teams define as being a lead? Is a lead something, is a lead a prospect that comes to your website and has a look around? Or is a lead something that downloads a piece of content or fills out a form? So it's very important to get that language and that definition right from the start so that sales and marketing know what each other is about and what their responsibilities in each function happen to be. So the first, I suppose, rule of thumb in order to create marketing, I would think, is to speak the same language. The second would be to have your integrated software. You have your marketing automation meets your CRM system. Ideally, they would be integrated together. It would be one platform. But if it's two, if it's two different platforms, so long as they're both integrated together, they can speak to each other, then marketing can generate and nurture the leads 
before they then pass them over to sales, which is what Terry was referring to and what Chris was saying with that agreement. Um, then sales pick up the qualified lead from marketing and run with it in order to close it. So you actually have a, a well-qualified lead coming through to the sales team and then sales picking it up from that handover time and running with it to close it. Third part is back to Chris, what Chris was referring to about that agreement, having a service level agreement between the two teams. Very clear defined goals. What are we trying to do? What are we trying to achieve? Who are we trying to solve for? When do we want to try and do it by? And what is it going to take to make this happen? Having it um, at a manager level on a weekly basis so that everybody knows where everybody stands all the time. And then on an organization-wide basis, having that agreement or uh, communication-wide on a monthly basis. And that brings me into my fourth point, which would be about having open communication. So all the way through the organization, sales know what marketing is doing and marketing knows what sales is doing. There's that respect and that accountability built in. Because it's one of the few things that I noticed from other companies that I've worked for, there wasn't that mutual level of respect because there was that unknown uh, functionality. What does marketing do and what does sales do and then the fifth point would be dashboards have shared dashboards so that both teams and every member of both teams can clearly and visibly see what marketing is doing what SLAs have been delivered, what leads were delivered, what was closed, and there's sales dashboards and there's marketing dashboards and then there's shared dashboards between both functions. Terry Flaherty yeah, absolutely. And at first, I, I definitely need to say I, I agree 100% emphatically with everything Sharon just said. Right? I think I think that's a great structure of understanding goals and communication and dashboards and systems and, and sharing the same language. One, one of the things we're seeing kind of following along that language and, and that understanding or communicating value, right, is – one of the, one of the big disconnects that often occurs is that marketing and, sh- and, and sales their, their vocabulary starts out very often with different terms and different language because marketing is thinking about leads right or MQLs or whatever you call it right it's they're, they're looking at individuals sales is thinking about opportunities and, and so one of the the core tenets of the demand unit waterfall was to say look at, at the end of the day we, we want to think about the same end goal right and what we're really trying to do is collaboratively together marketing and sales focus on identifying and engaging and qualifying opportunities. And we, we happen to position that or call that demand unit, but but it's really a, a an opportunity that could start very early stage in the process. And, and marketing and tele and sales are all working together to identify, inform, engage, and, and qualify what ultimately turns into an opportunity. So when we shift, you know, kind of the, the vocabulary away from leads versus opportunities and, and start to really focus on you know, where are the potential opportunities that exist in the organization and how do we define and identify them? And what are some of the earlier stages in the process that both marketing and sales and, and tele all aim to, right? That starts to shift the, the conversation a, a little bit differently where, where it's easier to, to start thinking about the same vocabulary, start you know, absolutely understanding the same goals because now, you know, what we're saying is instead of marketing generating a thousand leads this quarter, you know, we start to put the context that says marketing is helping to identify and engage with 300 new opportunities in the set of accounts. And, and that, that, that shift in focus, that, that change in vocabulary really is, we think, the kind of last mile in, in really starting to drive a better conversation and better alignment between marketing and sales. Absolutely. Um, You kind of nailed it in relation to that shared language, that shared terminology. I mean, at the end of the day, sales and marketing, they're on the same team or we're on the same team. But there's been that age old divide of um, even though 
that there are shared goals from an overall organizational perspective, there's that divide uh, between them. And I think a lot of it stems back to a division of goals, a division of metrics. They, they, they work under different metrics. Sales are metric one way, marketing are metric the other way. There's an inbuilt difference in languages. Um, bringing it back to what you were saying in relation to the, you know, every step of the funnel, you know, what does, you know, that's why sometimes to sit down um, and have those weekly marketing meetings and those monthly marketing meetings. So you have that open communication, you have that open transparency. And one of the subject matters of one of those meetings could literally be, let's define every step of the buyer's journey. Let's define every step of that funnel. What is the definition of a prospect? Then what is the definition of a lead? Then what is the definition of an opportunity? Then what is the definition of a customer? And then what is the definition of a promoter? And have that shared definition so that both sides of of the divide actually come together, meet together, and actually have an understanding that, okay, this is how we go forward together because now at least we're talking the same language from a definition perspective, we're talking the same language from a metrics perspective, and we're talking the same language from uh, when to start that sales process, how early in the stages do we start that, and let's start to work forward and have that open communication. Pamela Guyton-Michaels. So we talked a little bit about sales and marketing, both focusing on responses or leads and opportunities. Um, But I would argue that the more important focus at the end of the day um, should be on bookings, right? Because that's truly our growth metric. And I, as a marketer, really have skin in the game and am evaluated on not just responses and opportunities, but contribution to bookings. And when we made the change to begin to evaluate our marketing team against a bookings number, that communication, Sharon, that you spoke about with uh, with sales, the communication between sales and marketing really went through the roof and we were able to put in some great feedback loops because it enhanced that team concept um, that has driven our success at, at Avalara. Chris Borman. And Pamela, I think you are exactly right in that respect because listening to this conversation, there's a couple of things which I wanted to comment on. One is um, aligning sales and marketing is a difficult but incredibly important thing. And if you are aligned, um, for me, what that means is common vocabulary. It means common metrics. It means common definitions. It means making sure that there is a a coming together of both sides of this equation. The other thing that um, Sharon mentioned earlier, um, and I agree with all of the comments she made, but what I would add is the need not just for dashboards, but live data that can actually be used as the um, single view of the truth. But um, the thing that I um, don't like is this concept that marketing is a cost center. I think in the modern era of sales and marketing, I believe marketing is a revenue engine. It is a an engine that drives demand, as Pamela said, that progresses through to closed bookings. And one of the things that I like to measure my organization on is the pipeline that is built that then progresses to closure. Because you're absolutely right, Pamela, in terms of it's about the contribution to the business. So this entire debate, I passionately believe that marketing is 
not a cost center. It's a revenue generating engine. It needs to be aligned with sales. That means we have to have common vocabulary, common definitions. It means we have to have commonality of dashboards and we have to have agreement in understanding what each part of the equation is delivering to actually drive that revenue forward. Sharon Murnahan. Chris, I think you're spot on. Again, nailed it there. Um, I really think that's the organization of the future. Okay. The successful organizations of today are the guy are the organizations that are doing exactly what what all of us have discussed here right now. And I think the organizations of the future are the ones who are really going to get that alignment as close as possible. Um, I think the the businesses, the companies that will be the ones of, of yesterday are the ones who will still see marketing as being that cost center. Um, back to what Charles asked me um, at the start of this, this particular uh, discussion, you know, did I see what was one of my observations when I joined HubSpot? And that was one of my key observations when I joined HubSpot was that marketing is not a cost center in this organization. Marketing is part of the re- revenue generating team that is HubSpot. It's not all down to sales. And trust me, I've been in sales a long time. And that was really refreshing to see that there is that um, teamwork. There is that camaraderie. But you do strongly and strenuously need to have those processes that will back it up. It's not something that can just be an ideal of, oh, let's have some shared goals and let's have some marketing meetings and create some shared languages. It really does need to be backed up with the five things that I was saying. You know, you do need to have the integrated software. You do need to have the shared language, the service level agreement. That's really, really key. The open communication and then those shared dashboards and tying all five of And I'm sure there's a couple of other things as well, um, but really putting them all together in one box really is going to be that organization of the future. Terry Flaherty. I think the one nuance, and, 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 I, and I agree that the, the thing that I, I see so often that is so uh, detrimental to organizational success is, is when marketing basically says, oh, we're only responsible for generating MQLs or leads, and, and we don't have any role whatsoever after we hand leads off to sales. Right? And, and, and to me, that, that's just so sad because uh, you know, clearly marketing can, can absolutely enable. I mean, we're still driving communication, having discussions, and adding valuable conversations to, to that prospect's buyer's journey. And, and so uh, you know, to me, it, it, as everybody has said, it's, it's a lockstep synchronized you know, engagement where marketing and, and teleservices and sales all play a role essentially all through the process or, or through the vast majority of the shared process. So, um, yeah, anytime I hear clients that say, yeah, we just, we, we stop at, at MQL and we're done. It, it's just a sad situation when you hear that. And it's definitely, you know, organizations that think differently about that and have the culture that says, no, we, we're a team. That, that's definitely the ones that we see the highest conversion rates in as far as waterfall performance. I know that this is completely against the grain in terms of uh, the the wrong sector, if you like. But in in my own experience of being a being basically a, a salesperson for a company, albeit a salesperson on the floor that basically just says what would you like and then does what I'm asked to do. We in in the business that I worked at, the marketing team would send out all of the information, all of the the POS and everything to us to market the products that we were selling, and then we were expected to sell. Them regardless and it didn't matter what area or region of the country we were in it was all the same um all the same pos that was delivered to every single outlet um and and it always felt like to me that 
that us in the sales team, if you like, on the shop floor, weren't a part of that process of determining whether or not that was the right product to be marketing in our area and things like that. So, so the 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 relationship between the the marketer and and then the sales team is something that I'm quite sort of like passionate about and think that that should be there regardless. I know we've talked about that with both Chris and Pamela, but it 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 almost sounds as though that's just not there in every single business. I think ter- what Terry Terry said about culture, Charles, is the key to what your your observation is there. It is that shared culture between the marketing and the sales team that does drive that growth and that does drive that respect and that autonomy between the two sales teams or t- the two different teams. Um, and I think it's it, it's a culture, as I said, built on respect that sales ha- are cognizant of the value of the leads that they receive from marketing, but marketing also ha- have a respect for the job that sales does in enabling those leads to close. And I think part of that open communication is that one talks to the other so that, you know, marketing can define and determine what's going on uh, in the front of house or what's going on on the shop floor, because the salespeople are the guys who are talking face to face, more or less, with the end customer. Um, marketing are the ones who are putting together campaigns to attract that particular customer. So when you have that shared communication as part of the culture within the organization, then you will have that understanding of this is what the customer has told sales. This is what sales has told marketing. This is what the campaigns that marketing have created to generate the types of leads to bring in those kind of customers. I couldn't have said it better myself. I must admit, Sharon, that Zen. Um, what I like about what you've just said there is that there is a feedback loop. And I think Pamela was mentioning this earlier, is that ultimately um, we are all in the same business. We are trying to find relevant people who are um, basically interested in buying our products or our, our services. And in that respect, um, if you do not have sales and marketing working together with, by the way, the third pillar being product to understand um, exactly who is going to buy this and um, who is going to write the check for this, um, where is that buying group? Um, if, you don't, if, you, if you don't understand that and you don't actually come together as a team to identify and define those definitions, then anything that marketing is basically going to do is a waste of time. Um, you, you have to basically ensure that you've got that alignment, that agreement, because then marketing can do its magic and go and find those people and go and find those buying groups um, that are the ones that sales know that they can sell to. Um, so, yeah, completely agree with you. You've got you, these things have got to come together and you've got to have a culture for agreement in terms of how the teams work together to actually ensure that there is that continual feedback loop. And what I found from a technology perspective is just something as simple as lead scoring. We talk a lot about in marketing of lead scoring. Ultimately, the ability to optimize the score that you are basically defining to deliver that to sales, um, it's a living, breathing thing that actually has to be continually evolved to ensure that we are delivering the right thing to sales so that they can progress it. In our episode with Pamela, I asked her how she ensures the sales team at Avalara aligns itself with the decision-making unit. What's your experience of this, Chris? And is it different now in 2018? 
I think it's certainly um, evolved and it is different now to um, a couple of years ago. Um, and I think serious decisions actually have talked about this within their demand waterfall unit where we've evolved from a lead being effectively a single person to basically now this buying group. And ultimately, I think everything we've talked about in terms of aligning sales and marketing to ensure, um, I wouldn't say it's a question of the sales team aligning with the decision-making unit. I would say that ultimately um, it is a coming together of the sales and marketing teams to ensure that they understand what that buying group is, who is involved in it. And then the role of marketing is to basically uncover to their to the greatest ability that they can the relevant parts of that buying group um, so that they can work um, and deliver to sales a much more complete overall lead if that's the right phrase for for that buying group into the sales organization so it's actually bringing it together and what we've i think learned is that certainly through digital technologies and um, tools such as HubSpot, um, you can now start to engage with those people in a much more profound way than we used to be able to a number of years ago. So I think that um, it's certainly evolved over the, over the last few years and um, it's a much richer experience that you can now deliver. What's your take on that then, Sharon? Yeah, I, I agree with you there, Chris. And I think it, it ties back to what we were talking about there previously about culture, about communication, about transparency and about marketing. And I think it's 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 more than just a sales team and the decision makers, as you said yourself. It's kind of like the whole and it's more than the buying group as well. It's it's it peels back really to that communication piece and that collaborative communication between the sales teams and the marketing teams and with the decision-making unit. And that can all be tied up in the phraseology that I used earlier on of marketing, Because I kind of think that when you can bring the meaningful purpose, the practical strategies and the goals of each function together, it makes the whole organization's aspirations much more credible and in a nutshell, more likely to be achieved because everybody is now, I suppose, on the utilizing and leveraging the same engine for the same goals for the same overall shared results and i think back to our sales and marketing friends is that when they're aligned in that in the manner that we've been talking about and the manner what you were saying there that it does give every organization that advantage over other organizations who are not doing that which brings me back to what i was saying about these are the organizations of the now and of the future because these organizations are the ones that will have a clear sense of what to do at any given time. And they can trust what you were referencing there about the trust. They can trust their people to move the whole organization, individual by individual, team by team, sales, marketing, uh, product, decision makers, all in the same direction. And that means that overall, you have a result of an organization that can focus less on deciding what to do and more on just getting on and doing it. Tech Demand is a B2B platform who specialize in connecting organizations with their customers. Tech Demand create unique and engaging specialist content which is evergreen for generating campaign success. Visit the website tech-demand.com to discover how Tech Demand can help you. Terry, on, on the podcast with yourself back at the beginning of this series, you talked about buying groups as a roadmap to the future of lead generation. What would be your main advice around this, given what you've heard so far from Chris, Pamela and Sharon? 
Yeah, th th this is a fun question, and I, and I think that this sort of uh, is a question that maybe starts to to bring together a lot of the key thoughts that that everybody's talked about today, right? And um, I, I think the organization's transformation from individual leads into buying groups, number one, is a major cultural transformation, right? And that and that's really critical because you know what we're now saying is that that sales and marketing are going to work together on you know shared goals and, and shared outcome and, and we're not thinking about individual leads anymore but we're really looking at buying groups in the context of of the opportunities that, that, that they represent and how we align marketing and sales on these opportunities right and um, it, it also starts to transform another major cultural shift that we see around this perceived value of lead right and and in the past you know what we've seen is the most important lead that marketing can generate has been the the first new name in a first new account right and every other lead that gets produced after that very often is you know, perceived as being less value and in fact many times that that culture translates into processes where the second and third and that lead that we generate in an account you know especially if there might be an open opportunity account that those leads leads get disqualified and and so we're losing all the insight we're losing you know the 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 communication capability that we have to say hey sales here's what we understand from a marketing perspective around everything that's going on in this opportunity because that leads disqualified it's not connected to the opportunity. It's very often all those interactions are hidden from sales. And, and so, you know, culture and the ramifications of culture into process is absolutely the number one most significant inhibitor to overall demand management process, right? So if we then say, okay, well, well great, how do we solve it and how do we fix it, right? What we believe is it's this transformation into better alignment, right? And if we look at the alignment that's evolved between marketing and sales, you know, back when I started, alignment was saying, hey, we're going after these industries and maybe companies above these industries. But that was, you know, 25 years ago. And that was the level of granularity that we would align to with sales. And, and, and now you've all seen sort of all this excitement about accounts-based marketing to say, hey, we're going to get a little bit more refined. We're going to aim at 500 accounts and marketing and sales are going to work in lockstep fashion to, to go drive engagement in these accounts. But I think, you know, the, the next generation of alignment says, it's great to understand that we have 500 accounts, but how many potential opportunities do we think exist within those accounts, right? And there might be, you know, five potential opportunities that, that we could take into those accounts and then understanding that each one of those five different opportunities represents or has different buying groups with buy, different buying group profiles and different buying group sizes. And, and maybe one of these opportunities has four people in the buying group, another one might have eight, but we can step back and say, let, let's identify the roles that are in this buying group and the titles that typically map to these roles. And, and all of a sudden, when I do that, right, I've, if I've gone from you know, the evolution from segments down to the counts, down to opportunities and the buying groups and the roles that exist in those opportunities, and, and now I have this incredible map that, that really drives alignment between sales and marketing. We, we don't talk about the audience and the world in, in this very broad way where we can say, look, it's, it's you know, the, this industry, these 500 accounts, these four opportunities, and these 27 people in the account that play a really, really critical role in these opportunities. And that gives us context, right? They say, okay, how are we doing against that white space and that divine market universe? 
and, and what's the roles and responsibilities of what's marketing going to do and what's tele going to do and what's sales going to do to drive identification and engagement and, and then uh, you know, sort of validation or, or support out of these people in the different buying group, right? And, and that that's where we really start to gain incredible alignment. And, and that's the, the core of this concept of the evolution of the buying group, right? It, it's really the, the critical understanding. The most important thing to understand as an organization is, is having conversations between product marketing and, and demand and marketing and sales, everybody that has vision into the customer to be able to walk through that exercise to say, okay, great. We agree on the accounts. Let's agree on the opportunities that exist in these accounts and let's agree on the members of the buying group. And, and, and that, that becomes the foundational thing to drive much better alignment moving forward. Chris Borman. I must admit this is a, um, a massive topic because it, for me, um, ultimately it depends whether you are um, trying to mass market and sell a commodity product or a, um, a, a very sophisticated B2B product. Um, the concept of buying groups, clearly a buying group could be multiple people or an individual, um, but it comes, everything um, that we've been talking about really is about a cultural change that is impacting sales as much as marketing. Um, I, I, this, this idea of tracking who the influencers are, um, understanding who the multiple people are within the buying group, what it also requires is a belief from sales as well as marketing in terms of tracking the engagement with those people. And the only reason I mentioned this is that um, this, this change that we are seeing to get the greatest value out of this approach, um, I think requires an evolution in the thinking of a sales organization as well as a marketing organization, because we are now at a point where our ability to engage digitally and our ability to um, emotionally connect with multiple people across this buying group is real. And what it now requires, I think, is a sales organization to embrace. And part of our job as marketing leaders is to work with the sales leaders to showcase to them the power of what modern marketing can do to achieve this. So I agree with the theory, but when you convert it into practicalities of doing it, yeah, it's a, it's a hard job and it requires a lot of um, belief um, both from a marketing point of view as a, and a sales point of view to get this thing right. Would you agree with that, Terry? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the key thing we've seen with sales is, uh, you know, if we look at the traditional demand management process that, that we typically see, right, where we put a lot of emphasis on that first lead and, and then uh, you know, we're, we're passing individual leads over to sales with, without the context of, hey, we think these, these three leads are related into a buying group or even sometimes are related to the same account, you know, and we're, we're just passing, here's a thousand MQLs. That, that puts a huge burden on sales to figure out all that insight about the relationship of these thousand people plus the other you know, 6,000 people that they need to identify that are part of the buying groups where we only maybe have one person in that context, right? So, so sales inherently ha has taken a responsibility to say, you know, I understand I need to engage with the buying group. They know there's multiple people involved in this opportunity and, and, and all that burden of figuring out what that buying group really looks like has really been 
you know, pushed onto the sales effort, right? And uh, at the expense of some of the insight that marketing does have that could help sales. But to, to your point, Chris, that there's definitely a matter of trust that's for the culture, right? And and you know, sales has to to believe that this marketing insight is is valuable, right? And to do that, right, to be able to benefit from that insight, we, we need to have a, a delivery mechanism, if you will, or a way for marketing to get that information over to sales in the right right? And that requires system changes and process changes. And and for example, one way that, that that typically could happen to say, hey, here's a group of people we believe are connected is, you know, the opportunity entity that you see in many of the Salesforce automation systems that that inherently says, hey, you know, this is an entity that allows us to group people together and we link it to a solution and we can track the progression of this opportunity as it moves through the stages. But there's so there's such a, a cultural um, barrier in many organizations where where they'll look and say, you know what, that opportunity entity, that's a sales asset. That's not an organizational asset and only sales can create the opportunity. And, and that makes it really difficult then for marketing to be able to say, well, how do I communicate this concept of a buying group to you without some sort of, of container that, that we're all populating and engaging, right? So, so that cultural barrier that says, okay, we're going to shift how we operationalize our process and we absolutely want to gain the collective of insight of marketing, tele, and sales all connected into the same entity that we all share responsibility for. That's a that's a, a highly beneficial thing to do, but it absolutely represents you know a, a change in process, a change in culture uh, that you know, some organizations have a hard time swallowing. Other organizations are systematically and saying, "Yeah, this makes sense because this is the way we can align." But but there's definitely some cultural barriers to overcome in, in kind of the perception of the 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 role of the opportunity as an organization asset versus a sales asset and, and how these opportunities are operationalized in systems. Sharon Murnahan. Yeah, Terry, I, lo- I love a couple of things that you were saying there, you know, I and mean, then that change in process, that change in culture. Yeah, it's tough. It is tough and it is hard. Uh, but there's a lot of, as we all know here today, because we're all representing technology companies, there is the technology out there to make it less hard. I'm not going to say it's going to make it easy, but it'll certainly make things less hard. And it'll also make things less hard if there is that shared goal, if there is that, that that shared desire to change. You know, it's kind of like back to the light bulb. You know, there's no, the light bulb has to want to change for change to happen. So, um, you know, if you look at even, you know, there was plenty of technology out there. Um, refer back to what we talked about earlier on about having integrated software between your marketing team and your sales team. Have some, the marketing automation plus your CRM. Ideally in one platform, but if you have different, two different platforms, that's fine. Because you referred to there, you know, the burden of sales trying to figure out the buying groups. And as a salesperson, I get that completely because it is it is a big pain. But then you also have the insights that marketing have that they could share with their salespeople. Um, you know, so that the, the leads that marketing then pass over are the leads that sales actually wants to get. So if you have that integration and software whereby you're using a, a marketing automation system and a CRM platform whereby the marketing activities are visible to the salespeople and the nurturing activities for marketing um, are visible to the to the salespeople and vice versa. Well, then you have, uh, I suppose, an environment where the change in process and the change in that culture becomes less difficult.
looking to the future then, what are your experiences with smart technologies such as artificial intelligence and how do you see technology being deployed in the future? Pamela, I believe AI is something that is already in place and helping at Avalara. Yeah, look, and just to back up a little bit, I've said it before, MarTech is becoming increasingly spooky and we're getting a lot more sophisticated about being able to target prospects based on intent, uh, even if there's no form submit, just based on a digital footprint. And I think a lot of this technology is driven by the success of account-based marketing. And it's going to be pushed even further by the buying group marketing that Terry alluded to earlier. Um, But really, I think that today's marketers are so lucky. We're getting much smarter with the assistance of the digital tools. We've got lead scoring vendors out there who are using AI and others who are using really advanced algorithms to determine a prospect's company fit based on factors that go way beyond firmographics and demographics, like their own software and technology stack, and maybe even their search history. Um, And at Avalara, we've got a really robust modern tech stack for demand orchestration. And we also rely on some cutting edge tech vendors who are don't always have the lowest cost, but they definitely have the highest potential return. And I'm not going to get into a lot of specifics because I don't want to reveal our secret sauce, but we do use some syndication vendors that use AI engines. And the way it works is that you provide them with a list of MQLs or customers that might look on the surface completely desperate. I mean, your, your data analytics group can't find the patterns. And that AI engine can find those similarities and will then return lookalike targets and then push the content out to them so that you've got potentially high fit targets that you're that you're pushing your content to. So when you layer the other targeting tools on top of that, it's an incredibly powerful demand generation network. And you know, I, I don't have the crystal ball. I can't imagine what's next, but you better believe I'm going to be first in line to test it. Sharon Murnahan. That sounds absolutely fabulous, Pamela. And I love what you said about it's a great time to be a marketeer with all the technology and demand generation, super high fit targeting that's available out there and is, is only going to get better as a consequence of, of AI. Because from a sales perspective, I think it's an absolutely awesome time to be a salesperson. Um, having been in sales as long as I have, I mean, if if I had 20 years ago when I started my career in Yellow Pages, what do we have today in HubSpot and, and other MarTech companies? Holy schmoly, it would be a complete, it's, it's such a game changer what's in front of us and what and that there is more to come. I mean, where I see it from a salesperson's perspective, um, that what, what AI and what bots are going to enable salespeople to become is just that more specialized and more able to deal with that more complex sales sales process, because a lot of the menial tasks, a lot of the automation tasks is going to be taken care of by AI, and which will mean that there's going to be more opportunities for specific role definitions and specializations for salespeople and possibly for marketing people too, because they're going to start looking at that minutiae of demand generation, that minutiae of lead fit and lead flow, because the technology is going to be there to enable them to focus on the more complex, whilst the technology 
technology and AI deals with the more mundane and the tasks and and jobs that are able to be automated by AI and by bots. So I really do think that um, where we're going from a sales perspective and when we're going from a marketing perspective is a much more complicated world, the much higher level of, I suppose, enablement as a consequence of bots and AI being able to do the lesser tasks that we are currently doing today. Chris, is there anything from from your point of view with CA Technologies that you're looking forward to seeing coming through in the future? I must admit, uh, I I like the comment just made, which is that um, we currently... Um, live in a world where the richness of technology that we can bring to bear is is phenomenal. Um, personally, I'm looking forward to AI delivering what the hype promises, um, and I, I'm going to be watching this space with a great deal of interest as um, AI comes to bear, because I think that the promise of the future with AI, I think, is going to be phenomenal, um, and um, I think we're already beginning to see it, but I I think that it's going to be an exciting few years as we see the power of AI come into this entire environment with a great deal more force. And finally, Terry, is there anything that you can add? I think everybody is, has made really good points. I think I would just wrap and say, you know, really interesting thing with AI is it provides, you know, insight and context about what's going on in our sales and marketing world. And, and you know, we, we firmly see that the more insight and context that we can deliver into our process, both for marketing and for telling sales, uh, the higher our conversion rate's going to be, the more successful we're going to be. And, and that insight, you know, can be relatively simple. Like, hey, we believe that this person maps to this account. Right. And so we see a lot of technologies around lead to contact and account mapping. But, you know, we're also seeing technologies around, we believe, based on the interactions that these people are showing strong interest in in these solutions. And and that's intent. And and we're seeing intent, you know, being gathered from a very broad base across the network. But we're also seeing, you know, intent in in your website. Uh, What I think is really interesting and sort of the big inflection point over the last Six, six months to a year has been, um, you know, kind of the context around identification of buying groups, right? And, and that is looking at who's engaging, where they engaging in, what account are they engaging, and being able to package that up to the process in, in some sort of meaningful way, be that very early on in the process and broad-based intent, or e- even as interesting as looking at sales interactions and be able to fully populate a opportunity with all relevant contacts by data mining on you know, sales emails and, and calendars. Um, and, and so, yeah, again, we're, we're extremely excited about the evolution we're seeing in technology. We think there's a major inflection point in AI, specifically around providing the insight and context around uh, kind of this new process of thinking about buying groups and, and all these people that are involved in the buying group and what we know about them. My thanks to Terry Flaherty, Chris Borman, Pamela Guyton-Michaels and Sharon Murnahan. And thanks also to you for listening. It's been a very interesting month looking at the definition of a lead, and I hope it causes further discussion for marketeers in the future. I'm Charles Commons, and you've been listening to Tech Demand Weekly, powered by Serious Decisions. I'll be back on Wednesday, where I'll be exploring case studies with my guest, Clement Lim. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcatcher and share us with your peers. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can by emailing podcast at tech-demand.com. I'll see you next week.